The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. It's time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend here on A's Cast powered by TuneIn. And we're going to have a lot of fun with this one today because the names, it's a lot of fun. The Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred, joined myself and Roxy Bernstein before the wild card game. And you know what? I like the guy. I really do. I think he's smart. I think he understands that there needs to be change. And every business needs to change and grow with the times. And he's going to do that. And I know he's doing everything he can to help the A's get a new stadium. So I'm all for Rob Manfred. Then we're going to have Billy Bean on. I got Billy Bean to come down to our set on the field the day before the game to rap about a lot of different things. So we're going to hear from Billy. And then we'll hear from Peter Gammons. Peter Gammons a Ford C. Frick Award winner, a Hall of Famer, one of the great journalists of all time in baseball. And, of course, you see him on MLB Network, read him on MLB.com. Or, no, he's the athletic now, right? Yeah, so he's on the athletic. So Peter Gammons will be here. And then this one, this one was awesome to do. Bill James, the godfather of sabermetrics. I mean, this guy, he's a historian. You think of everything he's done with baseball and going strong at about 70 years old, Bill James is a lot of fun to talk to. But we're going to start it off with the man who runs Major League Baseball. Here's the commissioner, Rob Manfred. Well, this is going to be an absolute honor as Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, is going to join us here on A's Cast Live. This is Roxy Bernstein right here. Hey, how are you? I'm Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming out. And I just got to think for you, as as you're the man who runs Major League Baseball, to know that we're going to have a sellout here today for this wild card game. It's going to be loud. It's going to be fun. You got two great teams. I think you have to be proud. Yeah, we're really excited to be here in Oakland. Um, You know, when the news started to uh, make its way east about how big the crowd was going to be, that's very exciting for us. Great for the city, Oakland, great for the A's. How great of a show will this be for the country to see this tonight when you have a packed stadium, 55,000 people here for a playoff game between two teams that have been very smart about the way they go about things, but how great of a show is this going to be for the baseball world? Well, you know, I think it's a great um, message to our fans all over the country. You know, our teams, no matter what their market size, no matter what their payroll uh, no matter where they are, kind of in the natural cycle that it's always taken place in baseball, they have a chance to compete. And these two teams went out all year long, and boy, did they compete, and they really deserve to be here. And the excitement, like what we saw last night in our nation's capital, it's one game, and for the two teams, it's every pitch, it's every at-bat. The excitement has everybody on the edge. You just have to love that for your sport. Yeah, you know, last night was 
a great ball game. Um, both teams put on a great show. We were actually sitting there in the ballpark saying, wow, you know, they're never going to bring Strasburg in. And, of course, <laughs> there he comes, right? Um, so, you know, it's for all, you don't, you go home. You know, you don't win, you go home. And uh, it makes for really, really exciting baseball. And you couldn't ask for a better game than we had last night. When this format was adopted, was that the type of thing that Major League Baseball was going for? In a situation like that where Steven Strasburg hadn't pitched in relief, since his freshman year at San Diego State, and here he comes out of the bullpen last night. Right. I mean, the, the one-game playoff, um, there were a variety of things that led to its adoption, but certainly one of them was the idea of just giving a jump start um, to our playoffs, uh, two really exciting games right out of the chute, um, get your fans engaged. You know, the trick for us in the postseason is to drag our great local audiences into a national product, and we feel like these two games really help us with that. You know, the A's have always been cutting edge of baseball, dating all the way back to Philadelphia, and obviously we know with Billy Bean and then there's Moneyball, but I think about what's going on now with John Fisher, Dave Cavill, Chris Giles, is they're doing everything they can to put the best product on the field and on also take care of this coliseum make it better and trying to get the new ballpark in 2023 what have you seen with the athletics if you've watched this franchise grow i can't say enough about the effort that uh, dave cavill john fisher the whole A's organization have put into um, resolving the stadium situation here um, I think it uh, is a difficult environment to get something done, and, and they've worked really, really hard and showed tremendous commitment to the city of Oakland and to the fans of the A's. And while all of that's going on, to have your baseball operations staff, Billy, Dave, um, do the job they've done in terms of giving the fans a great product to watch night in and night out, I, I just can't say enough about the effort. You've been very pro-Oakland as far as what you felt about this community supporting the franchise. Does this reinforce your beliefs when you see the response in, in the crowd tonight? Well, you know, it's, um, it's been a funny week. Um, I, I think that uh, the crowds, the turnout, the support for the team is a huge positive. Uh, reinforces my view that, that, that Oakland is a major league market. Um, on the other hand, I will say some of the developments this week were a little um, disheartening. Um, I met with the mayor, the president of the city council today, and uh, tried to impress upon them the need for concrete action to move the stadium process forward. Um, the fans in Oakland deserve a stadium. I think they want a stadium, and it's time to get it done. Yeah, we, we, we talk each, every two weeks, we have a podcast called The Build, and we'll have Dave Cavill on, and we always joke that he's a uh, he's a two-property guy. That's how he got it done in San Jose, <laughs> and that's how he's trying to get it done here. And the thing that I love about what Dave's trying to do, he's not trying to fix just one part of Oakland. He's trying to fix two parts of Oakland. Yeah, I give him, I give, again, John, Dave, the, the entire organization credit for their vision, um, you know, to bite off two different um, locations. Uh, it, it is a monumental undertaking. I, I do believe it's what re is required here to get the kind of stadium that the fans deserve. And um, I, I hope that they have success in their effort. And they're trying to get something done. And oddly enough, so is the opponent tonight. They've been in this holding pattern as well. Anything with, with Tampa Bay that's going on as far as a ballpark? Um, well, you know, Tampa, um, again, trying to be creative, um, came to the executive council 
um, at our June meeting, and they were granted permission to explore a, a, a split season alternative between Tampa and uh, Montreal. Um, it is it would be something different for baseball, but you know, again, some real positives. Uh, it would open up uh, an international or reopen an international market for us more accurately, um, and you know, provide an opportunity to maintain baseball in Tampa. Um, and I, I think that again, uh, baseball and both of these owners. Um, meaning Tampa and Oakland, have shown great commitment to their communities. Um, we don't like to be relocating all the time, but in today's environment, you have to be creative to get something done. I think about your time in baseball, you've seen a lot, and we've seen how baseball has driven from you had to be a player to be in the front office to now everybody's an Ivy Leaguer or Stanford graduate <laughs> and all the data that we have going. Just talk about the change that you've seen the way these baseball teams operate from when you first got into the game to where you are now. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when I started, um, we were kind of the only people in the game that were carrying computers around, and I think it – generated some uh, distrust of us, to tell you the truth, in terms of uh, what we were all about. But um, it's really gone the other direction. Um, you know, no matter where uh, people are educated, the game's about analytics right now. Um, uh, we know a lot more about what it takes to produce success on the field. I think that our teams are far more disciplined and efficient in their decision-making. Um, they're making good decisions based on actual data. So I see that as a huge positive. I think the, the flip side of it is that analytics have produced the way or changed the way the game looks on the field. Um, and I, I would say we need to be aggressive about managing that change, make sure that the change occurs in a way that maintains the entertainment value of our product. we got a great product, and we want to make sure we keep it that way. Commissioner Rob Manfred with us here on AceCast Live as the wildcard <coughs> game tonight. And just... Pull yourself back from the commissioner. Just as a baseball fan, Rob, when you look at the way the game is right now with all these young stars, you look at, for example, the A's with Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. You look around what Cody Bellinger is doing with the Dodgers. Pete Alonso, a record-setting year for the Mets. Just as a baseball fan, how excited are you for the future of this game with so many young stars excelling right now? I think we've been blessed in recent years uh, with an influx of young talent. It seems like every fall I'm out there during the playoffs talking about this year's crop, a little better than the one before. Um, you know, and I, I think everyone in baseball believes that the talent we've seen come into the, the game in the last five or six years, just the best in decades. And that's great for our fans. They're great athletes. Um, they put on a tremendous show night in and night out. And, you know, there's some inherent excitement associated with the new guy. You, we saw it in New York with Pete Alonzo and, and, and what he did. And you guys have seen it here with the young talent, how well they performed. It's a young man's game right now. Um, it really is. Um, you know, the one thing I really like about you is you're, you're, you're not afraid of change. And every game evolves. I mean, football has evolved. I mean, back in the day, there was no forward pass. Right. Think about right here where the Warriors played. If you would have gone back in time and said there was a, a, th a three-point line to guys way back when they would have told you that'll never happen right, right. things need to change well yeah i think the game um needs to evolve like every product every entertainment product every product generally um has to evolve um in in order to address the fact that there's change that occurs naturally we just talked about it a minute ago with all the analytics that change is going on there's change happening and the question is are you going to manage it or not manage it and i i think it's incumbent upon us to manage it, um, be respectful of the history and traditions of the game always, 
but um, be open to changing the rules in a way that um, makes baseball looks like the, look on the field like the way that our fans want it and are used to seeing it. How important is it for you to make the rounds, to be in D.C. last night, to be here tonight, to be front and center and see the great atmosphere of the playoffs? You know what? Um, I, I am not um, one to overestimate the significance of my presence, but um, you know, I, I do think it's important to get out and see the clubs that qualify for our postseason. Uh, we have the most selective postseason in professional sport. I see it as a sign of respect to those clubs that have played so well to show up, see them play at home, see the excitement. And, you know, every time we're a local business at the end of the day, and every time you go out to a ballpark, at least for me, I learn something that, you know, I can build on as we develop initiatives at the league level to help the clubs. Let me say this, and let's end on this. Thank you from all A's fans because they may not know but you're behind the scenes really trying to make this new ballpark happen for for us as fans and I think this great franchise with its illustrious history and the championships and the Hall of Famers deserves a new stadium so I know you're working hard with John and David and Chris and I I just want to say thank you because we all want the same thing. Well you're welcome I, I do hope if people don't remember anything else I said while I was here today the fans here deserve a major league quality facility. They're great fans, and they deserve that kind of ballpark. Enjoy the game, and we appreciate Thanks your time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. I guarantee you Rob's looking at the time of these playoff games as they're well over three hours. But the fact that he supports the A's and he's trying to help John Fisher and Dave Cavill and Chris Giles and make this thing happen, the the, the fact that he's going down to Oakland, politician politicians and ruffling their feathers, I'm all for it. This guy's trying to get us a new ballpark, so I'm in all support of the commissioner. I've known Billy Bean since he was named GM back in 1998. Had Billy Bean on all my different shows I've done on all these different stations. He's been good to me over the years, and obviously, as an executive, you look what he's done in his career. Three times Sporting News Executive of the Year. Two-time Baseball America Major League Executive of the Year. 2018 MLB Executive of the Year. 2012 MLB Executive of the Year. 2012 Greatness of Baseball Yearly Award. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And Billy Bean's teams have been in the playoffs 10 out of 20 years. Here is the man that runs your Oakland Athletics. The great Billy Bean is with us. How are you? Good, Tony. It's uh, You know, I always make appearances when we've made the postseason, so I can take all the credit. From <laughs> well, that's the one thing is we always have you like before the season. Now it's always great to have you in the postseason. And just how much fun have you had the last two years with this group winning 97 games back-to-back years? It's been two of the probably most enjoyable years I've had. I, uh, when I think of the 2001 season was a lot of fun because the team was just so darn good, and the second half was unbelievable. 2012 was probably at the top of the list because there was so little expected. I think the preseason uh, predictors had us losing 110 games that year when we won in 12, and then we literally nobody paid attention to us till all of a sudden you know, we won the division last day. But these last two years collectively uh, are right up there with that 2012. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch this team. At first you kind of go, hey, these guys are pretty good. And then after, you know, over a two-year period, you go, these guys are real good. And they've, you know, done it. It's not a fluke. When you win 97 games two years in a row, it, it means you're good. Yeah, and you've always said if you think this team has a chance, 
you're going to go out and add to this team and try and help this team win in the postseason. Absolutely, and I think we've done that every year. I mean, this year we didn't have a lot to choose from in terms from a trademark. It was a little different, uh, but I thought we were very selective, and I thought that uh, we did a good job in bringing in the right guys, and Tanner Roark and Diekman and Homer was fantastic for us, and I'm not sure we'd be here had we not made those moves, you know, adding. And, and the team expects you to do that. You know, I learned that from Sandy Alderson. When you almost, uh, when a team's played its heart out and they're in it, at the trade deadline, it gives them a real jolt when the front office goes out there and, and uh, puts their best foot forward. And, and even when they give it young players, they like to see that, hey, you're investing in, in this club right now. And and, uh, and for us, it's the last couple of years, I think it's been one of the reasons we've gotten here. You know, one of the great things about working around this team is that you don't believe in tanking. You're always going to try and win. And, I, you know, baseball's changed a lot since you started. And I think, you know, God, I mean, you win 97 games, it only gets you into a wild card game. It's like next year we're going to have at spring training, it's going to be like, hey, you want to win the division? You got to win like 105 games. Just talk about how the game has just changed since since you first started. Yeah, well, you know, you, you mentioned that, or the term they use is tanking. The, you know, every year that I've been here, me and David have been together, we've always tried to win. Now, unfortunately, I wish we could sort of blame some years on tanking, but uh, – those years we didn't win, we were actually trying then, too. It just didn't work out. Uh, I think you have a responsibility. I think every year is an opportunity. And had we taken sort of the attitude or let people convince us that, uh, hey, we're not ready yet or this team needs to rebuild, 2012 would have never happened. And actually going back, and, and that was a great lesson for, for all of us here, if you recall the beginning of that winter in 2011, we traded Bailey, we traded Cahill, and we traded Geo. That was in the fall. And the expectation was is that we were, quote-unquote, rebuilding. Well, what happened was it freed up some payroll, and we had some great opportunities right after the new year. Coco Chris came in, Suspettis came in, Cologne came in, Seth Smith came in. Those were all moves after those moves uh, in the fall. And the trading those guys gave us the opportunity to pick up some guys. And, and again, we ended up winning the division, and we won it the following year, and we went to the playoffs in 14. So I think when you're in professional sports, you have an obligation, honestly. There's, I, you know, one of the things that, and Bob, I know Bob's probably mentioned this to you, Chris, uh, when you have a big crowd here in Oakland and you really feel, that's the games that I know Bob and myself feel the pressure to win. Because people, you know, they plan around a big fireworks night or they come on a Sunday afternoon for a, you know, a holiday or summer, Father's Day or Easter. And when they show people in the stands and you see families, you realize, you know, maybe they get to three or four games a year, but this is one game they planned on, and you want to make sure they have a good time. And the idea that they would buy their tickets for a game in August, maybe they bought it back in April, and at that day, that game means nothing because your team's not very good, that's always something I've sort of taken personally. And, um, and so for, for myself and Dave and everybody here, listen, we may not win every year, but I promise you with what we have, we're going to do everything we can to win every game. You know, I, it's 2012. I always talk about go look at the box score from the Japan games and then go look at the box score of the very last game against the Rangers, how you remade the roster. It's always been interesting and fascinating to me how you can completely remake the roster or add to the, a roster during a season. You know, it's, uh, you know, I've had this conversation. Me and Peter Gammons have been friends for years, and we talk quite a bit about this, and he asked me the last this year as well. You know, the first month two months of the season, maybe the first uh, 35 games, you, you, you kind of try and figure out where you are. You know, you, 
May, historically for us, is always seems to be when we've had tough years, that's when we seem to get injured, and it's impacted the rest of the year. But if we stay healthy and we kind of stay around 500 and kind of tread water a little bit, then you can see where you need to make adjustments with the team, and that's kind of what we've done. And, we, and the other thing is, you know, things that happen in May, you kind of can't panic. You can't get... Uh, you can't enjoy yourself too much if you're playing well, and you can't, uh, I think, panic if you're playing poorly because there's a lot of games left. And, uh, and if you look at our, our seasons historically, we've kind of just kind of hung in there the first half of the season, and then we take off the second uh, part of the season. And, and again, if you look at uh, a lot of teams, when you get to the trade deadline, five, six, seven teams at that point are going to fold cards. And those are opportunities for you in the second half to actually win those games if you just say, hey, we're still in this thing. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of this is my experience going back. I mean, this goes back to 99. I think we were 43 and 44 at one point during that season and ended up winning 87 games. We traded Kenny Rogers, then made some other deals after we freed up payroll. Won 87 games. I sort of realized teams that you play in the second half may be far different than they were in the first half. And there may be more victories by virtue of the fact that, A, you're trying to win games then and other teams are maybe developing young players. And, and those are opportunities that we, uh, you know, try to search out for and we uh, – we kind of anticipate at some point. Yeah, don't worry. We panic for you on the postgame show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we see, that's the other thing. When I watch you guys, I only watch when we win. So I, <laughs> it's actually true. But like, I'll, like, you know, I'll, I'll try and get home to, I'm not a late night guy, you know. So if the game starts going on, I'll start heading home. And if we win, I'll turn on, I'll like, watch everything. I'll listen to everything that's going on. But when we lose, boom, turn it off, and I'm watching Dateline or something. So, uh uh, I hear you. Yeah. I wish I could do that. Keeps me sane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, you're not going to win every single year, but but the success that you have had and knowing you for a long time. You know, I remember when we first went back when I was on KNBR and we used to bring you on when you yeah. first got the gig. What do you think really has changed about you over the years? Wow. Uh, you know, I think – I think I've developed more patience. I, when I was young, and we were all young here, you know, you, you know even David was right out of college, basically. Uh, and, you know, Paul was here. J.P. Ricciardi was still here with me. Uh, I, we were very young. Uh, we were very intense. Uh, you know, in some sense, I think we needed that at that point. You know, we were changing a lot as an organization. At one point, we were a high payroll team. And then we sort of transitioned, so we sort of had to find a different way of doing things. And uh, but I'd say I've become more patient. Uh, I, I understand the length of the season. Um, I realize I've had days. You know, I've been doing this 22 years now. When you're young and you've won 10 in a row, you drive to the park thinking you're never going to lose a game again. You you've got this surrounded with this sort of arrogance of your you know your team's great and you're always going to be great, and it just doesn't last. And I, the way I've sort of uh, sort of trick myself psychologically is when we're driving in and, and we're playing well, I'm starting to think about, all right, what can go wrong? How do I prepare for something to go wrong? And then when things are going bad, I know they're going to turn too. So I try not to sort of uh, uh, get hung up in the moment as to, hey, we're playing good, so we're, we're great. I'm looking for ways that, hey, what can go wrong? And then when things are going wrong, I'm looking for things that can go right. So that kind of balance has helped me a lot. And, it, and it's crazy the way the game has changed with technology now because Ooh, back in the day, it was like, we look at OPS. And it's like, OPS now, I mean, with StatCast and 
track man, and they're bringing in Hawkeye that tennis uses, and these high-tech cameras and Rapsodo and all this kind of stuff. It's like those old analytics, it was great back then, but now we got all this radar and science. It's crazy how the game's changed. Yeah, you know, I remember when I uh, was, when, when you and Larry would interview me on camera on a Sunday, right? We yeah. do a Sunday show. I always, do, you know, we do those interviews those days. And back then, you know, I was Sandy's assistant, and I literally would print out the statistics, right, uh, from the it was how I think stat service that we got through baseball, and we print these out, and I'd get a highlighter, and I'd just highlight the on base percentage, right? Yeah. You know, now with this stuff and the a the people, the brain power we got working, all the access to data, uh, it's it's absolutely incredible, uh, and it's great because the game has become so intelligent, and to me, I think it's one of the smartest industries in the world. And, I'll, and before you say you're crazy, think about this. Um, I'm looking for the same skill sets that Wall Street, that Silicon Valley's looking for, that Facebook, Google. I need those same skill sets. Uh, the advantage I have is that they'll come work for me for about 25 cents of the dollar because they want to work for a sports team. And baseball now has access to all this intellectual capital out there that we weren't taking advantage of for years. You know, when guy and I look back, you know, with Sandy Alderson was the first. You know, the idea that a, you know, Dartmouth graduate. Harvard Law graduate will be running a baseball team. That was unusual back then. Now it's the norm. And it's not so much about where you graduate, just that there's really bright people from all over the world coming and working for us now. I mean, look across the bay of Farhan. You know, I hired Farhan when he was a PhD candidate at Cal Berkeley. And now he's running one of the premier sports teams on the, on the planet. And I can tell you, he's every bit as smart as you th that PhD says he is. He's a brilliant guy. And the game itself has become a very, very smart industry, and and we're trying to do the same thing everybody else are. We have a lot of data. We're trying to ma manage large amounts of data and organize it, and uh, and that's good because it's the game's become a lot more dynamic, I think, off the field and become, I think, interesting on it, too. Yeah, I got a couple of buddies who are recruiters, one's for Amazon, another's for Salesforce, another's for Google. Yeah, they're not hiring people 25 cents on the dollar in those companies. <laughs> no, and, 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 and again, we this is what's great about sports is you know, and to me, I think, you know, I think one of the impacts of the book is that it's turned the business into a meritocracy. You know, bright young men and women who didn't play in the major leagues now have the opportunity to work in the game. And I think that's great. And uh, it's become, again, much more dynamic. You look at our front office here, you know, beyond David and myself, and it's an incredibly bright group of young men and young women. And uh, you're going to see more and more of that. It's, again, it's more diverse, more dynamic, and it's much more intelligent. That book changed so much and then the movie and changed your life really because now and it's been happening for years that people all around the world want to figure out how you do it what has that been like for you that you've traveled the country traveled the world and people want to pick your brain it's humbling yeah it turned me into a little bit of a recluse <laughs> so <laughs> You know, uh, but uh, it's been very humbling. Some of the, you know, the opportunities I've had, the people. Uh, it's uh, again, Michael Lewis is an amazing writer. He's one of the most you know, probably influential writers in the world. So I guess that myself and everybody in the book benefited from that. But I, I'd like to think that uh, if I had any skill, that uh, I hired a lot of really bright people that made me look really good. And I sort of half kid when I say that, but when you Again, look across the bay at Farhan. You got David here. You got Paul D. Podesta, who's working for the Cleveland Browns. I'm sort of proud of the fact that uh, they started their, you know, sports careers here here in Oakland. And uh, and again, I 
hope to continue doing that because I still love what I'm doing and hopefully get to meet a lot more people uh, in the coming years. Hiring good people is a skill. Well, you know, I've, yeah, I've always, I, listen, I think, you know, first, we, to be a good leader, this is my opinion, you have to be a little bit humble and have some humility. And I think you kind of have to check your ego at the door. I've always tried to hire guys who I thought ultimately could do my job and do it better. And I think I've succeeded uh, in doing that. And, I, and I, we've got a pretty flat structure. I mean, you've seen us around here, Chris. I mean, you know, from our analysts, Ben and Pike, and guys who just started here a couple of years ago to David, we all sort of, it's, uh, we all sort of operate on the same level. Every, each guy can do, well, I can't do the analysts. They can do stuff that I can't do. But we, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we all can kind of do each other's job. And I'm not afraid to let, you know, Dave's not afraid to delegate to let guys and allow them to grow, which is why I think a lot of people get taken from our organization, because they have a lot of skills that are developed while they're here. So one game, it's just one game, and it's crazy. 97 wins, they got 96. I know you got a lot of respect for those guys because they deal with a lot of the same problems you got to deal with. Yeah, I was kidding, and I'm only half kidding on this, too, is that, uh, you know, Tampa in a g one game, you're going to have two teams trying to bully each other analytically. I mean, you're going to – I mean, they're really smart over there. I have a, we have a tremendous amount of respect uh, for the entire organization. In fact, Bob will tell you this. I was wrong, but I, I thought Tampa was going to win the division this year. I told Bob that. I said, I think Tampa's going to win the East. Now, as it turned out, the Yankees, deservedly so, you know, won it comfortably. But uh, I think – Tampa, 97, or 96 wins, and their payroll's lower than ours. But you could see them setting it up last year. That deal they made with Archer was just absolutely incredible. And uh, they're going to be good for a long time, too. Uh, bright, bright people over there. And it'll make for an interesting game, that's for sure. Peter Gammon told the story here on A's Cast Live about years ago, you being back east, and you got out-ordered, and it bothered you. That's how competitive you are. And we're like, really? That really happened. <laughs> True story. I was in Cape Cod with Peter, and uh, of course he was a local, so he ordered the lobster roll. I went with something basic, and my daughter Casey was with me. She was probably ten or eleven, and uh, yeah, I looked at it with envy. I looked at that lobster roll that he pulled up, given the fact that he lived there his whole <laughs> life. So I got on him for not tipping me off on the right order. Uh, and it was interesting about that day because it was a gorgeous day in Cape Cod. There was no humidity, which how many times is it going to happen in August? In fact, it was a series, if you age remember, it was a series that Terrence Long, was that, that day that he made an unbelievable catch to, to win the game in Boston. And uh, I remember, because when I got back, I didn't go to the game that night. And he, he literally had just happened as me and Casey walked in the hotel room. And being there that day, it was an amazing day. And it kind of fooled you, like, wow, this is kind of like being in San Diego, where I grew up. You know, it was, it was sunny and no humidity and gorgeous and kind of fooled you a little bit. So I think that kind of tempted me a little bit to consider the Boston offer, mainly from being out in Cape Cod with Peter that day. You know what? Sometimes the best decisions are when you say no. Thank God you didn't take that job and you stayed here. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, uh, there's some years that people probably wished I would have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That, you know, you're talking about changing this job. I mean, listen, and this is the deal. And I've tried never to run away from it. Uh, Listen, some people are not going to like what you do, and you're, there's going to be days that, hey, his time is up, the game has passed him by, and then there's times you're the smartest guy in the room. That's the deal. The fact is, is you're neither. And if you sort of kind of keep that balance and realize you're going to make some bad moves, but hopefully you make three good moves for every two bad moves you make, and I'd like to think we have. The thing about you is that you understand the pitfalls. You understand the issues, and you're able to work around that. 
and not everybody really understands all those pitfalls that you have to do deal with and i think that's one of what's made you so successful and i think about your relationship with bob melvin like this has been the perfect manager for you right you went through a few managers why why has bob been the guy which by the way now with all these moves he's the longest tenured guy with one team no you know when boach retired when i knew when boach retired i i think i mentioned that to bob that he was the longest tenured guy First of all, listen, you know, me and Bob played against each other. We're the same. I mean, we're only a few months apart in age. I think we genuinely like each other. Uh, we like each other's company. We're both kind of loners, too, in the same sense. We, we kind of hang, uh, hang out with each other just enough not to irritate each other. Uh, and, again, we're both like that. And, uh, and listen, I have a, one thing about, I tell this about Bob, the, this guy comes into every day. He's such a consistent personality and consistent with his work ethic. I mean, he's been doing this a long time, and he's still in, like, like clockwork, 11.30, organized, ready to go every single day from spring training on. And, and, uh, and again, his relationship with the players, relationship with the front office, his relationship with the media, I think he's as good as anybody in the game when it comes to that. And, and he's also been a guy who came up in a different era, but been able to transition with all the analytics and do it seamlessly, which is why he's still around, you know, because... A lot of guys who started with me and Bob, you know, maybe weren't didn't embrace it like Bob did, and uh, and 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 again, he's you know his staff is great; they're loyal to him, and again, he's one of the best in the business, and uh, we hope he uh, continues to stay here for a long, long time. I I anticipate that. Yeah, well, in this job, you got to be able to manage up, and you got to be able <laughs> to manage down, right? Yeah, listen, that's uh, I was a kid with Brian Cashman, who's one of the best in the business. The Yankees, nobody was, I mean, he. I, I was there. I've, I've heard. I was in his office when we when he still had hair and I had no gray hair, and uh, I remember we were we were just starting on the upswing. It was maybe 2000, and I was in his office in Yankee Stadium, and and Mr. Steinbrenner would call. I could hear him yelling at him through the phone. Oh God! <laughs> but Brian was the master. He knew how to. You know, he's not a he's not a guy who's just going to give you a line. He's he's a straight shooter, and he was a straight shooter with his owner. I think that's why he was successful there, and he continues to be successful. Can you so. imagine looking at that phone every day, getting that phone call, just going, "Oh God, here we go." <laughs> he, you know what? He's done all right. In fact, uh, I always take the opportunities. I think Brian has the greatest winning percentage of any general manager in the history of the game, and you never hear anybody talk about him in the Hall of Fame. I think he's got four rings. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and he's he's smart as a whip, and uh, despite the fact that he's got money, he's still very, very smart and very good at what he does. Well, same for you, and uh, you've always been good to me in my career, and one of the big honors this year was uh, to take the, the, the shot at leaving regular radio, terrestrial radio, and coming and do this and being a part of this, and. And being this season our first, you guys have really helped us out, really grow this thing. And once again, you've always been good to me, and I always appreciate it. And good luck in this game, and hopefully we're having a conversation in Houston. I sure hope so, Chris. And, hey, congratulations on a great first year. I know you guys have gotten some great uh, uh, some accolades, people talking about what's going on. This is pretty unique, and you've had a big job all year, so congratulations on year one getting done. Let's get that And by way. the way, you still you don't have a gray hair in your head. We've been doing this the same amount of time. You know what it is? It's a grooming cream that I have. It's working. Then when I put it in, you can kind of see the gray, but it makes my hair darker. It looks great. It's, uh, it looks natural. You look like an eight-year-old little boy on his first day of school. <laughs> I'm still trying. Hey, my brother's bald, by the way. It's crazy. You've got full moss going there. Uh, you're I, the thought, ba- I thought that was brew cream. It's, that's not brew cream? No, it's called it's a Veda grooming cream. It's the best. It kind of it gets rid of the gray. 
But once I, you know, once you shower, great. it's gray. I'm gray. Oh, I got oh a that's, bit of gray. I'll tell you what, it doesn't look, uh, it looks real. <laughs> I'm not stressed, my friend. <laughs> I'm living the dream. There you go. Hey, good luck tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's all about winning the World Series, there right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's right. A lot of games ahead. So, obviously, the great story by Peter Gammons. You're going to hear this next about how competitive Billy Bean is. And he found that out years ago about he doesn't like to be out-ordered. That's how, <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how competitive he is. But Peter Gammons, you know, Peter is a legend in this game. And I've gotten to interview him a few times. Alex Jensen, the face of A's All Night, will be doing this interview as I was off with the Raiders. But Peter Gammons is a treat. I mean, he's truly one of the best journalists that's ever been in Major League Baseball. And, yes, he's a Hall of Famer. Here's Peter. Well, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's written a, a column on The Athletic recently. Despite everything, the Oakland A's remain a quiet powerhouse. He is uh, the Hall of, Fader, Hall of Famer Peter Gammons. Uh, Mr. Gammons, it's, a, it's an honor to have you on. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. I'm doing great. Thank you. What? It's, it's 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 remarkable, really, what the A's have done. But I, one of the reasons I wrote the column is I, I think people have a tendency to forget what Oakland's been in baseball. I, I realize the ballpark is a serious issue. I, I understand all that. But at the same time, you know, this is the 51st year since they went to divisional play in 1969. And the only team that has more first-place finishes and more pennants and more World Series are the Yankees. The A's are actually tied with the Red Sox in each category, but um, I don't think people with the East Coast bias understand what the A's have been. It's been different generations. I mean, yeah. 72, 73, 74, they were great. But then, you know, the, the, the great um, Tony La Russa, Ricky Henderson, uh, Dave Stewart teams, and then, you know, they, they've been – Really good at, at times in, in this century. So it's uh, it's kind of fun to see. And the way they've come back and the way the team's starting to come together is absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're dangerous um, if they get, in, in a, get into the uh, – if they get past the wild card and they end up in the, in the division series. I mean, Manaya looks like he's a legitimate front-of-the-rotation starter. And they they find so many ways to use the bullpen, and you know Bob Melvin is just so good at doing this. It's it's a great story. I, I just I, it, it, I have a lot of fun watching it. It is interesting, uh, Peter. And, and you mentioned you know uh, people on the East Coast kind of forget the success that the A's have had. At times, people in the A's own market kind of forget the, the the success that the A's have had over the last, as you mentioned, you know, fifty plus years. Why do you think that is? Well, there have been some really ugly moments, <clears throat> obviously. I remember back um, right before the Haas family bought the team when they, were get, when they, uh, they drew 300,000 people in one, in one season. I think it was 79. But, um, you know, the Giants have obviously with three world championships, um, you know, sort of towered above them in certain ways. Um, and San Francisco is a different market. But... It's, you know, what they've done and with the payrolls they've had has been um, really very interesting. And the way they know when to trade and when not to trade, really interesting. But one thing about it, they don't tank. They try to win. And I think that's, that's really important. They're forever, David Forrest and Billy Bean are forever looking for deals, upgrades. Um, 
I mean, you know, as, as I look at the MVP, I mean, who would have thought before the season that I'd be saying, is Marcus Semyon number three or number four in the MVP ballot? Right. I mean, to me, that's amazing. And he wasn't a very good player. Now, part of it is his work ethic, but it's also, you know, the Ron Washingtons and people who have worked with him. It's uh, just making the team better all the time. And, you know, no one should underestimate the that that infield defense. At first base, shortstop, third base. I mean, they're a great defensive team. I completely agree with you. We're talking with Peter Gammons here on A's Cast Live and talking about the 2019 A's season, uh, Peter. And one of the things I enjoyed most about your story uh, were the insights that you kind of get from Billy Bean, called this kind of a remarkable and enjoyable season. It sure is remarkable. Uh, you know, the injuries, uh, Sean Manaya, Stephen Piscotty, uh, Matt Olson, the suspension to Frankie Montas, uh, Chris Davis uh, having a down season. But the enjoyable thought, the enjoyable part that uh, Billy Bean uh, mentioned, I you know, I found kind of kind of interesting. Do you get the feeling that he enjoys this type of challenge? Oh, I, I definitely do. And I think that, that um, I think the fact that they've come back from having all those pitching injuries and are here, you know, I mean, it would take almost a miracle for the Indians to be able to get, to, to get one of those berths. So, I mean, for them to be playing in the wild card game, um, which will be a lot of fun because Tampa's really good. Um, but, I mean, they won 97 games last year. I mean, it's, you know, this is no fluke. They've, instead of sitting back and saying, oh, to our fans, oh, in five years we're going to be good. We'll take five good prospects out of the Dominican Summer League. They, they, they trade to try to get better. And they work to try to get better. And they, you know, there's no, you know, we being, oh, we can't possibly uh, compete with the big market teams. Would they love to have, um, you know, uh, two and a half times their payroll like the Red Sox had. Yeah. They're also going to win about 15 more games than the Red Sox are. And uh, I, I think that's, um, I, I just, I, I trust to a lot of people in the organization. I mean, there's a lot of talk at Boston about what are they going to do uh, as far as who's going to run the baseball operations. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult market. You're looking for someone with some experience, but there may not be anybody there. Um, so, you know, the, the, the general manager, president of baseball operations, is kind of a testy thing right now. If David Force weren't staying in, he's not moving from the Bay Area. We all understand that. If he were willing to move and go back to where he went to college or eight miles from where he went to college, um, I mean, the Red Sox are paying him unbelievable money. But, you know, that's not who he is. And, uh, you know, to me, he's one of the brightest people in the game, and, and you know, he's very happy where he is, and he's, he's stuck it out all the way with the A's, and uh, he and his family love San Francisco. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, just the, the continuity of this player. And you, you wrote about this in your story, which I thought was fascinating, Peter, but the, the continuity of this pl- of the player evaluation staff, the infrastructure here with Oakland. I mean, you got names Eric Kubota, Keith Lippman, Billy Owens, David Forst. You know, under Billy Bean, those are some of the same names you were reading about in the book Moneyball, and they're still around and still, uh, you know, building a winner. You, you just talked about, it, you know, how that kind of contrasts to the Red Sox right now. But, you know, what factor does this play, this this continuity in this franchise consistently building a contender despite all the obstacles you allude to, the stadium, the payroll, so on and so forth? 
I think continuity has, has quite a bit to do with it. I really do. I really believe that. Um, I see what happens with organizations that keep changing people. I mean, Keith Lippman's been there. It seems like he's been there since, uh, since Captain Charter was pitching there. But um, <laughs> And Billy Owens is one of the best evaluators and one of the most joyous human beings I've ever known in my life. And I, I just, I, I think that they know who they are and they know what they're looking for and they do what has to be done. And sometimes, you know, they'll make a trade and make a run, try to win it with John Lester, for instance. Um, and if it doesn't work, they don't go, Oh, now we have to rebuild for six years. They move on to the next uh, situation. And um, it's, it is very different than what we see in Baltimore in um, Kansas City, places like that where they say, oh, well, we're going to spend five years and rebuild. Miami, I mean, I think my, I think Derek Jeter thought it could come faster. I think he realizes now it's very difficult. But uh, um, I just think that they've, they've done such a good job of that, and they're not afraid to just stick with the same people. This year's A's, uh, how do you compare them to the other teams that, that have been built you know, the Moneyball team, the 2012 to 14, how do, how do you compare this group to the other contenders in the Billy Bean era? Um, well, I mean, they have, they have the three or four really good players like those other teams. Um, first base, shortstop, third base. I mean, Chapman to me is one of the great stars in the game. Actually, when I was <clears throat> earlier today, I was driving and, they were talking about the A's on um, on MLB Network Radio, and uh, and the point was they were talking about how Chapman is a much better player than people. It's not just a, a dramatic two-run homer and another homer the next night. This is who he is. He's a great player, um, and Sebian's made himself a great player. Olson is is a Gold Glove first baseman who is a a really good hitter. Uh, Canada's become a very good player. I, I'm amazed by his ability to play center field. And this is without, like you said, it's without Francis having a great year, but they they just stay with it and they don't give up. There's a, I do think there's a great deal of competitiveness in the A's. I mean, I always kid about this. Uh, I think I wrote about it um, when, when it looked like Billy was going to go to Boston. He, was, he came and visited on Cape Cod where I live. And um, so we went with a, a friend of mine on his boat, and, and we went over to this place to, to have lunch and uh, the place for people bringing their boats in and everything. And, and um, I always get Billy's from California. What does he know about fish? But that's just, but, but anyway, so he orders something normal, squad or swordfish or something. And they, this place has, like, the greatest lobster rolls on two pounds of lobster on this incredible Portuguese bread. And... Um, going back, Billy was kind of solemn, and my friend John Keenan, who was it was his boat, he said, "What's the matter, Billy? You all right?" And he said, "I just hate to be out ordered. I mean, it's the only person I've ever known in my life that doesn't like to be out ordered for dinner." And I love that competitiveness because it really defines who the A's are in a lot of ways. 
It, it almost, well, he'll never he'll, he'll never order scrub or swordfish again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it almost embodies kind of you know the uh, I guess the like we just talked about earlier, right, Peter? I mean the underdog mentality that that's come along with this uh, with this franchise, but, you know, due to the fact that they've kind of been overlooked for so long. It really, I mean. Yeah, I, I was really lucky to be able to cover that 89 World Series. So we, we got the Bay Bridge. Yeah, obviously, it's a very memorable World Series for a lot of reasons. But at the same time, um, I'd like, I, I hope the A's could stay at Oakland. And I hope, you know, once again, before in my lifetime, I get to see an Oakland San Francisco World Series. Because I, I have so many memories of that. I mean, just Dave Stewart, that we come back after what? Three weeks. Dave Stewart wins game three, so that's three nothing. The A's are going to win the World Series. Next morning, he met me at the at the uh, old Coliseum, and we drove down to deliver coffee and donuts to all the workers underneath uh, underneath the highway wow. um, where it was collapsed. And I just thought, you know what? This is this is one of the great stories. I mean, Dave Stewart will always be in my mind as one of the one of the real heroes I've ever known. But this is in the middle of a World Series. He's just one game free. That's the second win in the series. He's obviously going to be the MVP. And there we got underneath the Cypress structure, serving coffee and donuts to workers trying to search for bodies underneath. And that, you know, I mean, to anyone in any walk of life, that's something you never, ever forget. And what makes that even cooler for me, Peter, I mean, I'm a native Oaklander as well. Dave Stewart is a native Oaklander. I mean, that's just, you know, it goes beyond baseball, right, when you talk about a story like that, especially the fact that this is Dave Stewart's hometown. I know. And I remember going to his house. And also, you know, I I remember how bad it was um, in the last days of Charlie Finley where the hammer was actually doing play-by-play on the phone in the back of the press box to Charlie back in Chicago. Um, and and uh, uh, then Roy Eisenhart and the Haas family took over, and they turned the ballpark into just a great place to be. I mean, I'll never forget going to a game and having a classical music night, you know, instead of playing uh, um, whatever was popular in 1982. They were playing classical music one night. It was like the coolest place. I mean, I thought that Roy really changed a lot of the way baseball marketed itself, the creativity and so forth. And what went on at that park at that time was just astounding. And, you know, unfortunately, Al Davis built up and we lost the lights of the Oakland Hills. But um, still, I mean, I did, my memories of what that, that place is. And I'll tell you, uh, what was it, five years ago when they played the Tigers in the ALDS. I mean, that was one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard now. They lost the fifth game. Justin Berlander is going to the Hall of Fame. We can forgive them for that. But that, that, that game four where Josh Donaldson hit the home run and the A's win, I mean, that was just a, it was a, um, to me, it showed what Oakland could be with the right park and the right time. And, um, you know, they could have two cities. They could be Oakland yeah. and San Francisco. I, I'm still convinced of that. Well, that kind of leads me to my next uh, next question here, Peter, and we'll let you go after this. Thanks again for, for taking the time. We're talking to Peter Gammons here on, on A's Cast Live. 
the A's may get another home game in, in the playoffs this season and maybe more than one. What is your take here on the on the on the playoffs on the playoff picture here in the American League? With the, it's looking like I mean, as you said, the Indians are kind of hanging on by a thread. The A's and the Rays are right there, the three division winners. You know, what what's your what's your overall outlook on the AL postseason picture? I think that first game, um, in the first playoff game, which would be um, Morton against Manaya, is absolutely fascinating. Charlie Morton right now is he's not Garrett Cole, he's not Justin Verlander, but he's in the top five pitchers in the American League. And Manaya, since he's come back, has been almost unhittable. I mean, that has a chance to be a truly great game, probably decided. Um, in the ninth inning by a home run, I mean, off a of off a reliever. I, I think that has a chance to be great. I have so much admiration too for Tampa, and how good they've been. They won 90 games last year. They keep rebuilding that team with a very small um, payroll, but they've got tons of pitching and big time arms. And um, I think that can be great. And then you know wherever you go from there, uh, I presume it would be having to play Houston, which isn't easy, but when people ask me, what about the legitimacy of the A's? They beat the Yankees four out of six. They beat the Astros six out of eight down the stretch. That's legitimate enough for me. He's one of the best there is. He's the Hall of Fader, Peter Gammons. Mr. Gammons, thank you so much again for taking time. And uh, hopefully we see you down the road at the Coliseum for, uh, for uh, a special game at some point. Thank you very much. Peter Gammons. I used to love back in the day when he did the Sunday notes in the, in the Boston Globe. Like he started that, and everybody read that in baseball. Everybody did. Our next guest is an absolute baseball legend. He is the man that created sabermetrics. He's the godfather, as they like to say, and he's still a consultant for the Boston Red Sox. He made people change the way they think about baseball. He came up with the term sabermetrics, and – I had to ask him, you know, do people think you were crazy back in the day? How'd they feel about, you know, we're just not talking batting average home runs and RBIs. This man should be in the Hall of Fame someday. Here is the great Bill James. Bill, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? And it's an honor to have you on the program. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, sir. I'm great to be here. So when I think about you and you termed sabermetrics, what is it like for you that your hard work and your passion truly changed Major League Baseball? Well, it wasn't me. I mean, I, I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and I was doing stuff before everybody was doing it, and then a lot of other people started doing it. But it, it wasn't, you know, it was the other people who changed baseball. It wasn't really me. Well, when, when I think, when did you start and why did you start delving into all these numbers and creating all of these metrics? See, I remember that I was creating the type of metrics that I made a living by creating. I was doing that when I was a teenager. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I didn't, not, I, I didn't know how to go about it. Uh, I, I didn't know how to study an issue and find a credible answer, but I was doing it. The... Uh, I started doing it professionally about 1976, I guess. And then when you think about that makes me sound really old, but you know, <laughs> well, it just means you've been you've been that great for a long time. Because I, I I assume that when you started and and people really started to look at your stuff, 
you know, I bet a lot of people weren't buying it early. What was like early on when you started presenting this to the baseball world? Uh, to say that people weren't buying it would be the understatement of the week. The uh, There was a lot of uh, random hostility directed at ideas like, um, you know, base stealing is a nice thing and it helps you win a game occasionally, but it's not really the fun, fundamental of an offense. Uh, uh, that, that would make people angry to say stuff like that. The, um, or a baseball, a baseball player's prime is ages 26 to 30, not 28 to 32, as had been said. And people got angry about that. Like the, um, after we got past that phase, there were a lot of people in baseball who would come up to me and say, you know, I was using your stuff uh, on my team or in my scouting. A lot of scouts would come up and, you know, I was using your stuff way back when. And I don't doubt that they were. Uh, but, you know, they were awfully quiet about it at the time. Well, yeah, I think people have been using your stuff for a very long time. And do you like the way the game of baseball has changed and the way front offices operate now in modern-day baseball? Well, I'm fine with the way the front offices operate. The uh, the way the game is played on the field, which is to an extent a consequence of the way the front offices operate, to a certain extent, is uh, it's not ideal. I mean, the I do think baseball really needs to get on top of the pace of play issue with some realistic stuff, not, you know, trimming around the edges of the edges. Or, but they, they really need to address the issue, in my opinion. The uh, uh, but And there are other things that are aesthetically wrong with the game. Uh, I think with, well, I don't know. I'm going to be 70 in a few weeks, so I, I don't dare to say anything negative about the current generation or I become an old guy yelling, get off my lawn, you know. The... Uh, but uh, I do think there are some issues with the fans' view of how the game is played. Yeah, trust, you know, being in the American League and seeing these games, you know, you can have a three to two game that's almost four hours long. And I, I agree with you. I think about young kids, you know, you're starting these games at like seven o'clock. There's no way someone can sit there for four hours, especially on a school night. If you could change something in baseball, to, to pick up the pace of play, what would it be? It's obvious it needs to be done. Right? I don't know how you convince it. There are two things that need to be done. One is you have to stop calling time between pitches, you know, get in there and hit. Huh? And the other is you have to limit the number of pitching changes in a game. I mean, baseball games have become a, a uh, interminable, particularly in September, because September is worse than ever interminable series of pitching changes and and it's you know it's just not that much fun to watch the uh so those it's obvious what needs to be done you need to do those two things but unless you do those two things you can you can all the problems you know the metrics that you created and you would recreate you'd build new ones but out of all the metrics that you created what were your favorite ones the uh I still do that, by the way. That's what I was doing for the last two hours, <laughs> reinventing a way to read all the historical, all the left fielders in history. So I still do that. But the, um, uh, the the two things I made that had the largest impact were the runs created method. And you know, everybody uses some sort of a runs created method anymore, although, you know, everybody uses mine, but somebody, everybody uses some sort of, and the Pythagorean recognition, the system, the Pythagorean system that, recognition that the number of games you win is usually a, a predictive, predictable outcome of how many runs you score and how many you allow, 
which enables you to place a value. Uh, it enables you to place a win value on the run, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's crucial being able to see what the true value of a player is, is being able to say what is the win value of a run. The, uh, uh, so those are the two things that had the most impact. When I think about batting average and when I think about home runs and I think about RBIs, the metrics that you help create and that people still create and you're still creating – you know, you can show the value of a player other than those three. Do you remember back when you looked at a player and you said, wait a minute, this guy's metrics show you he's better than you think he actually is? Well, for older players, older fans in the Oakland area, the shocking player was Gene Tennis. And Gene Tennis would hit 225 with 20 homers and 65 RBIs. But you, if you studied the numbers deeply enough, you discover, hey, that guy is actually a really good player. He's one of the three or four most valuable players on his team, despite the low batting average and the and the unimpressive RBI count. The um, uh, that was the that was the biggest reaction at the time. And you know what? I I still fight that. I I, I still have trouble convincing myself that a player of that type has the value that he that he has because I grew up. Being told that you know, being taught that you know, batting average is everything. I still fight the impulse to overvalue it. Yeah, Gene Tennis, a good friend of the program. We always love having him on. And, and those A's, you know, they're they're finally starting to get their due, Bill. But but that that team that you know, when they started winning those, there's because only the Yankees and the A's have won three straight World Series. But the greatness of that 72, 73, 74 run with the A's, that was really, really a special team. And it was a crazy team, but it was a special team. Yeah, and at the time, well, because, you know, Finley was not really a lovable person. And at the time, there was more emphasis on the craziness than there was on the on the greatness. But guys like, uh, you know, Sal Bando, the captain of that team, and, and the, the really four, three phenomenal starting pitches, but really four, you had Catfish Hunter and, and uh, Vita Blue and, Ken Holtzman and Blue Moon Oak. The, uh, the great reliever at that time, at that time the greatest ever, Raleigh Fingers. The, uh, it, was, uh, uh, it, it truly was a, a very remarkable team. When I think about pitching today, and we're seeing guys, starters, go less innings, and bullpens are eating up more innings than ever before, and it can work when you have a really good bullpen, but bullpens from year to year are so fickled do you think we need to start seeing starting pitchers go deeper into games, or do you like that we just need to keep throwing bullpen arms at it? Uh, if, if we could find a way to go back a little bit to have more reliance on the starting pitchers, and it's not just that, but, but maybe get away from a game where the pitcher is throwing as hard as he can and the batter is swinging as hard as he can. If we could, uh, if we could get away from that a little bit, I think it's – I think it's easier for the fan to get into the game when there's a little less of that. The, uh, so, yeah, again, I'm an old guy. I don't dare criticize the modern gamer. But but the uh, I do think that a little more reliance on starting pitching is helpful. You know, think of the A's. We think they're going to get into the postseason. And if they do, that will be 10 postseasons in 20 years. And with all the obstacles Billy Bean has had to deal with, and, of course, the Moneyball, the book, and then the movie, when you look from afar and you've watched Billy Bean's career, how have you valued him as a front office person? Oh, it's, it's, 
it's amazing what he's done. And, and the, uh, to win as many games as the A's have won on the, on the budgets that they've had to work with and with the, the level, uh, you know, cities, the area is immense, of course, but the Oakland is not the glamour part of that area. And, and the, with the, with the sport levels they've had, they win the number of games that they've had. It's just a phenomenal accomplishment. I, I don't, I don't think anyone, any, anyone's ever, I don't think there's a match for it anywhere in history. Let's end on this. What is it that you truly love about the game of baseball? The, the fact that, that you can figure it out if you work hard enough. I mean, there's a lot of things I love about baseball. It, it, this, this is the truth. I, you know, I go to sleep tonight, and I, I will have, if you wake me up at 4 a.m., I will be dreaming about baseball. I promise you I will. It's, it's how my mind is organized. The, uh, but I love the fact that, that it's a, an organized universe. You know, everything happens within it for a reason. And whereas the real universe is too large and too complicated for you to understand, baseball is a small enough universe that you can sort of understand. You don't wake up in the middle of the night, do you, and start doing creating new metrics, right? You dream about something, wake up, and go to, like, a, a desk? Oh, very much. I, I do it. I do it all the time. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Uh, you're a legend in this game, and anytime we can have you on, it'll be a great pleasure. Hey, uh, happy to do it anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was a great A's unfiltered. Just love the names. The Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred, Billy Bean, Peter Gammons, and Bill James. Well, I hope you're all enjoying these playoff games. I know I am, and we'll keep covering it. Don't forget, A's Cast Live, that's our our talk show here on A's Cast, will be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 4, and then we replay it from 4 to 7. We'll still be having the best guest in all of baseball right on A's Cast Live. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 